shot. And Higgins blocks it and had to get his body behind the ball. Plenty of venom from Matty Thompson. Good technique, lovely strike, follows through with the volley. And that causes Scott Higgins a little bit of trouble. And the crowd's erupted, they love it. Hi, and welcome back to the Future Champions podcast. In this episode, the gospel according to Scott Higgins. I'm your host, Stuart Taylor, and in this episode, we speak to the former professional goalkeeper who played the first season for Brisbane Roar in 2005 before going over to Scotland where he played for Falkirk. He also played professional football in Israel and has a wealth of knowledge and experience when it comes to football and when it comes to goalkeeping. He is also a very genuinely nice person with a great sense of humour. But I've got to tell you, I probably tested that sense of humour a little bit early on in our interview. To give you some background, we're at the Ramada Hotel in Harvey Bay, and it took us about 45 minutes to find the right location to interview Scott. It then took me a little bit longer to set up, and as we were just about to start the interview, in the first question, my phone rings. And you can almost see the frustration in his eyes before he realizes who's on the phone. So here it is, the gospel according to Scott Higgins. So Scott, thank you so much for joining us on the Future Champions podcast. I'm pretty excited. Let's get straight into it. You're a Celtic fan, you played for Falkirk, and you played against... <laughs> Sorry, can I just... Hey, mate, how you going? Hey, mate, how are you? Oh, Mr. Moon. How are you? Sorry. Hey, Giggles. Giggles, how are you, buddy? Good, champ. How are you? Um, you've actually called us in the middle of a podcast, and it's a bit of a setup. Oh. It's a bit of a setup, I've got to say. Well, so- <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. So, Warren Moon. Here we um, go. I'm interviewing Giggles, Scotty Higgins on the Future Champions podcast. We're about to sit down. Uh, and I believe you know him well. Sorry, who is it? <laughs> <laughs> nah, he's a good guy. I know Scott Higgins, aka Giggles. He's a good guy. Mate, you One should know. Best, me. Actually, you should know me. I put you up for six months in Scotland. So you say put me up? I thought we lived together. I thought it was mutual. Well, you were nicknamed <laughs> Dupree, so we'll leave it at that, eh? <laughs> what was the nickname? All right, all right. Dupree. Dupree. You ever seen? Um, you, me, and Dupree, <laughs> the movie. <laughs> Give it a watch. Mooney's Dupree. Hey, Molly. Want you to know I really, really appreciate yeah, this. Okay? No, it's really no problem, Dupree. Thanks. Nice moose. Oh, yeah. Murphy, say hello to the missus. Hi, Murphy. Come on in, buddy. Right. Thanks. Yourself at home. Um, I hope the couch is okay. Oh, yeah. I'm upstairs. fine in any place. You know where everything is. Thank you. And hey, listen, just to put your minds at ease, this is not a permanent situation, okay? I'm hitting the job trail. I'm going to hit it hard tomorrow. Wheels of change are in motion. Good, good. That's a good attitude. Despite what my ex-boss said, I'm not unhirable. Those copiers didn't exactly sell themselves. And frankly, I think we had an inferior product, and I'd tell people that if they asked. I wasn't going to lie for that son of a... I don't want to get started on him, but... Okay, great. Well... <clears throat> Make yourself at home. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it was a bit like that, but uh, good times. It was a good time. So just to be clear, you're pretty busy getting ready for Sunday's game, but you've taken the time out to have a few words here with Scotty. Um, is there anything you needed to ask him? Uh, uh, I wouldn't know where to begin, to be perfectly honest. Well, um, do you want to uncover the, one of the greatest mysteries that's happened in your life, uh, in particularly a, um, a frozen jersey and boots? Do you want to get to the bottom of that? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! So I, I just missed that reception. Just cut out. What was that question? Sorry. I'm just interested to know you are. There's a there's a certain mystery that's never been answered for you, and we're we're going to answer it here on the Future Champions podcast. Okay. Uh, what? Yeah, no drama as well. You wanted to know, and you've told me this. What happened to the mystery of the uh, frozen boots and the frozen jersey? Yeah, I'd love to know. I turned up at training one day, and uh, all my boots, my training kit, was in the freezer probably because I was closing about the Ashes victory. I, I'm pretty sure he was behind it. <laughs> I, um, I was behind a lot of oh, pranks. So, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you knew about it. I'm sure you were thankful to that. Yeah, quite, quite possible. I could have been the foreman in that um, prank that was played on Mooney back in the day. But, you know, you'd come in and brag about how good the poms were in the cricket and stuff. So uh, <laughs> we needed to uh, find ways to get him back. So the best way was to shove all his gear in the freezer and let it freeze. It was either that or, or cut the boots up and we thought he might need them for the weekend, so we just froze them. <laughs> so, so oh, well, I'm glad you cleared it up. So when this would have been about 2005, two, 2005, yeah. first year of the Queensland Raw? Yep, first year of the A-League, yeah. So we are at the Strikers together, me and Mooney, um, and then uh, fortunate enough that uh, Queensland Raw took us both on um, in that first year under Mirren, so... Uh, and we we were quite successful. We had a good year. We we missed out on the finals, but we were, uh, you know, a, a bunch of players that had come together from all over Australia. So uh, for first year, I thought we did really well. Yeah, and obviously you being um, an England supporter in the Ashes, Warren, um, that was probably the era where they stopped being trash, wasn't it? Well, that's right. So I think it was the first time they won, um, but it didn't go down too well in that changing. So. <laughs> Um, but you got to cop that. Yep. Did your boots recover? No, they didn't. I ended up throwing them in the bin. Um, <laughs> having said that, it might have been the boots themselves because it was a sponsorship I had at the time. They weren't the best. <laughs> <laughs> that was the beauty of it, mate. You just uh, would ring up and order another pair of boots. But uh, I'm, I'm gathering those days are gone for, for you as well because they're certainly gone for me. No, I get boots, mate. I get boots all the time. I just got to pay for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No worries, Warren. Just quickly, um, so uh, what was it like playing with Scott? Look, uh, he probably knows this, and he probably loved me to say it. But like, he actually was the funniest man in football. I think it wouldn't. It would for, for those that don't know in your change room. Um, obviously, there's always banter flying around, but there's always key people that are a part of that, and he was. Uh, probably the funniest guy I've ever had in the change room. Um, and a lot of people would say that. So he was um, uh, not just a class clown, but he was uh, the life of the party. He was able to, to get everyone sort of um, in good spirits, good mood. And, uh, but as well, like he was also, um, he, he, he was lovely telling the He was a, a closet outfield player. He, he loved to go on the field. And uh, he fancied himself as a number nine, a big striker. And, and to be fair, he actually backed it up. We, uh, there was actually one time in training he'd come on in cage and 
uh, bang them in for fun. But uh, there's an even better story where we actually played a trial game where he brought himself on for the last 20 minutes. Um, and this wasn't at the Raw. This was uh, in our East phase. And I think he scored two goals as a striker in 20 minutes against the QAS. <laughs> I think one was a bicycle. Yeah. So, um, so I think uh, had he have uh, put himself on the 30 might have been a half decent number nine. Big John Hartson. Yeah, that's it, mate. Big Johnny. I was a little bit slow, though. <laughs> that was John. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Warren, th- thank you so much and um, appreciate you, you taking the time out to, to speak to us again and good luck on Sunday. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers, mate. All the best. Bye. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, I shouldn't have left my phone on. No, that's right. That's right. right. And, and you've and you got to answer when the, when the raw gaffer calls, mate. Before we were rudely interrupted by the head coach of Brisbane Raw, you were talking – well, I was asking you the question, you're a mad Celtic fan. You get selected for to play for Falkirk. You go to Scotland and you play Celtic. Tell us about that. Oh, look, it was obviously a, a pretty special occasion. Um, firstly, to sign with the Scottish Premier League club. Uh, my mum's from Fife and, um, you know, brought up as a, as a Celtic fan myself, so knew a fair bit about Scottish football. Um had a mate over there playing for Rangers at the time, Maury. Uh, so I, I touched base with him when um, the the offer came in from Falkirk. I was on a two-year contract at Raw and had just completed the first year. Um, and to be honest, mate, I didn't need much convincing to jump at the opportunity to go over there and play. So, uh, yeah, it was went over um, and uh, actually made my debut against uh, Dundee United away at Tannadice, um, which is funny because – Three of us, Matt McKay, myself and Craig Moore, all played for Brisbane Raw and all of our Scottish Premier League debuts were against Dundee United, which is wow. which is a little bit bizarre. Um, uh, so, yeah, obviously when the draw comes out, you look at the calendar and you see the games against Rangers and Celtic and get a bit of a buzz, mate. Um, and, and obviously the special one was, for me was um, at Celtic Park on uh, 23rd of December 2006, so... I know the date for two reasons. One, because obviously it was a, a dream of mine to play for Celtic, which I couldn't. Um, but uh, the next best thing was obviously to play against them at Celtic Park. And also it was my dad's 60th birthday. So my mum and dad flew over, uh, were at the game and, and then spent Christmas with us. That would have been an incredible experience. Yeah, it was it was amazing, mate, to be honest. Um, we got beat 1-0, unfortunately, by a Thomas Graveson bomb. Um, but... Uh, yeah, the the experience was was unbelievable. You know, sixty thousand people, and and had been there a couple of weeks before, actually in the stands supporting Celtic, um, and, and and to play against them was something pretty special. Yeah. Lennon hesitates. Nakamura, Amagidi, a little bit too hasty. Gravison will be shot. What a goal! Beautifully swept in, and that was a mistake by the Falkirk defender but how well he took it giving the supporters something to cheer and what so far has been a very negative and dull afternoon and so-, so not many people get to walk out onto paradise onto that beautiful pitch and uh, even, even when it's closed but you're walking in there as a goalkeeper trying to keep out uh, an incredible team, keep them from scoring. To keep them to 1-0 is a, an incredible achievement. But to be there and take in that atmosphere 
at the time? Were you able to take it in? Um, I, I definitely, I definitely tried to because uh, the morning of the game, and then and then on the bus on the way to the game, um, you know, I was I was kind of talking to myself about making sure I enjoy it, and you know, once in a lifetime opportunity potentially. Um, so I, I did try to take in as much as I could, but obviously you kind of get lost in the in the game. Um, but no, there, there was a couple of times I had to stop myself from singing the Celtic songs because I realised I'm standing in goals, not in the stands. Yep. What, were the, what what's your favourite Celtic song? Uh, probably Fields of Bath and Rye. Oh, yeah, I love that song. It's a good one. So that's probably yep. my favourite. There, there's plenty of other ones that um, I like as well. But yeah, that's probably my pick of the bunch. Would be Fields of Bath and Rye. So you grew up in Australia as a Celtic fan, loving Scotland, having that connection with your mum. Yep. And and your dad. Yeah, our dad's Australian. Yeah. yeah, but he had that passion for Scotland. He as did, well. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you then start. What age did you start playing youth football? Uh, so I started football from a a young age. My dad was a footballer for Arncliffe Scots in Sydney. Um, so I started from I'd say under fives, under sixes, and then and then went through the systems. And I actually went went to the UK when I was eighteen, and that was me going to the UK to sign a professional contract, like as in. Not having a professional contract, never spoken to a club, but that was my thought process. I'm going to Scotland, going to get some trials. Um, so I went over there, tried with a few clubs, um, spent a few months at Clyde, which were possibly in the second division there. Um, never got offered a contract, so basically um, worked in a pub, uh, went to plenty of football uh, and then played some local league stuff over there and then came back to Australia and, and – just cut my teeth in the local leagues in uh, in Queensland, um, and then, like I said, uh, eventually I got my opportunity pretty late, to be honest, in my career, uh, to play for the Brisbane Strikers when Stuart McLaren took over. So he signed me, which was the last year of the uh, NSL in oh four or oh three. Yeah, two thousand four. Two thousand four. Yeah, and then there was a big gap between two thousand four and two thousand five starting because they changed from a. Winter season to Correct. summer season. Yeah, yeah. So when the A League kicked off, it all it all changed. Yeah, and, and like you said, there was that big gap. So there was a lot of uncertainty and limbo, and you know whether you'd get picked up or not. So again, I just went back and played in the state leagues in Brisbane, um, and, and obviously got signed by Miran when the uh, Queensland Raw was was built, which was good. Um, and, and like I said, we had a, we had a great bunch of guys, um, considering we'd come from. You know, he'd handpicked a couple from New South Wales, Western Australia, all over the, all over the country, and we all came together really well and gelled right from the start, which was good. When did you actually become a goalkeeper? Were you a goalkeeper early on? Did you know you wanted to be a goalkeeper? Uh, no, I was. I was a field player to start with, um, and my older brother and me would go down and 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 have a kick around the football park or whatever, and I'd jump in goals and throw myself around and, um, kind of did okay and wasn't. You know, wasn't scared of diving around or diving at people's feet, um, or, or standing in the way of a powerful shot. You know, as a nine or ten year old. So, uh, yeah, one of my coaches threw me in goals one weekend. Must have been when I was about eleven or twelve, and I did okay. And and basically from there, I I didn't get a chance back on the field. And like Mooney said before, you know, I would have loved to because I fancy myself as a bit of a striker. Yeah, well, you got the height for a striker. That's it. Also, yeah, you've also got a height for the. Goalkeeping, goalkeeping, yeah. When going on that, and we'll we'll get we'll get into strikers and Queensland Raw soon. I'm interested from someone with your experience in football. 
when is it too early to identify a goalkeeper as a goalkeeper and when is it too late? Um, I don't think it's ever too late. If, if you see or identify a goalkeeper with ability, then I don't think it's ever too late to obviously work on that ability a bit more and refine it um, and, and take that goalkeeper to a different level, a higher level. Um, look, I've done a lot of coaching with kids and, you know, I've coached six and seven-year-olds and to be honest, I don't think that's a good place to identify a goalkeeper. You can see a few things, but I would say around the 10, 11-year-old mark would be um, when I'd really start to see, uh, you know, technique and, and stuff come into it where you can really work on it. Um, you know, I've I've done a bit of coaching with some young kids and tried to work on certain things and certain techniques, but it, it seems to go out the window pretty quickly, to be honest. And what, what would you be looking for in an 11-year-old or 12-year-old or 13-year-old as far as a goalkeeper goes? What are some of the attributes physically and, and mentally? Yeah, well, well, physically I think um, obviously height does help. Um, but in saying that, you, you know, there's some, some fantastic goalkeepers around the world that aren't overly tall. Um, these days they've got to be very good with their feet. Uh, so they've got to be able to play, and communication's a massive one. To be honest, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of talking and organising um, when you're a goalkeeper. I mean, most of the outfield players will say we just yell at them and blame them for everything, but it's actually uh, a little bit more than that. We've got to uh, organise a fair bit, um, talk, and and just get our structures right, our defensive structures right. So, I think communication um, is is massive for a goalkeeper. Uh, so you you look for like confidence. You want the kid to be confident. You don't want them to go into their shell if they concede a goal or get down on themselves if they make a mistake. Because obviously, as a goalkeeper, you just can't afford to take time out of the game to think about a mistake you've made for two minutes after you've made it, um, or or it'll be costly. So I think yeah, you definitely look for confidence, um, communication skills, and just making sure that they're quite coordinated with their feet and obviously you know their hands as well. Absolutely. So moving on to your development as a goalkeeper, I guess, in professional football, and we'll start with the strikers. That was a a very strong, young, um, and had some older players as well in that 2004 and last season. There were some really strong players, but it was very Queensland-based, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Was that good for Queensland? 100%, yeah. I I think that's really important um, when it comes to – Queensland clubs or A-League clubs or, or whatever it is in, in in the states they represent that, you know, if they can get homegrown, um, I, I think it makes a massive difference just for the uh, the passion they feel for the jersey, you know, that, that, that the jersey means so much to them. And, you know, they're not just thinking about letting themselves down or the team down, but actually thinking about the state as a whole. Um, and, and a perfect example of that is Matt Mackay, mate. I first come across Matty at Strikers. Um, and basically that was his dream as a 13, 14-year-old or 15-year-old when he was at, uh, you know, development squads or whatever. He, he he wanted to play for Brisbane Strikers. That was his dream to play in the NSL for Brisbane Strikers and and I could see that from day one, mate. His uh, attitude and work rate and, and, and borderline obsession, which I think you've got to have, was, was uh, paramount and, and that's probably why he went on to become such a great player for Australia. Well, he was he was selected for the Australian or Queensland Institute of Sport, and he was there before he came to the Strikers. 
but when he was when he watched the grand final of the Strikers when they won at Lang Park, yep. was no sorry um, at um, yeah. Perry Park. Or? No Lane Park, I think it was ninety seven. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yep. So he he was there, but he also had uh, Brisbane Strikers posters on his walls. He was he was a true Queenslander who just wanted nothing more than to play football and to play football well for Queensland. That, yeah, that's right. And I, and I think that's um, you know that's that's definitely something I see Mooney uh, maybe possibly trying to bring back if he can and where he can. That you know because it, because it, obviously that club means a lot to Warren Moon as well and. Uh, having a coach that I know we have a joke about him being a pommy, but you know, growing up in Brisbane, playing for the Brisbane Strikers and then Brisbane Raw from the start, um, you know, I, I think he can he can really develop that. He's he's got a real eye for talent, and there's plenty of it in Queensland. Um, so yeah, I think he can really develop those guys. I mean, it's a, it's an exciting time for young footballers in Queensland at the moment. I would say. I think he sent a really strong message to Queensland when he picked Danny Kim as his first. Signing, yeah, definitely, and and th- and that's what I mean, and that should, um, you know, if, if if you're a young player in Queensland playing in the MPL or or whatever league it might be, um, and, and you see something like that, I think it certainly gives you a bit of incentive to know that hey, there's an opportunity for me now. There's a pathway there. Um, I'm not going to get overlooked for for interstate players. Um, you know that that they're, they're likely, you know, if if I'm on par with another player from interstate, then I'll I'll get the foot in the door because I'm a Queenslander. It's interesting when you compare rugby league, rugby union, and football as the, the I guess the three biggest sports in Queensland. If you look at rugby union and, and rugby league, they have an incredible number of representative players from Queensland country from the regional areas. Football doesn't boast that reputation, but this might change under the stewardship of someone like Warren Moon. Yeah, and look, and hopefully it does, mate. Um, and, and I know that, you know, we don't want to compare ourselves to – well, I know FFA in the past have wanted to do their own things in in what they do when it comes to, you know, identifying talent out in the countries or uh, uh, communities. Um, but, but I think sometimes we can take uh, a look at what they do and, and mirror it in some sense because uh, even even when it comes to Indigenous players, mate, and I've had a fair bit to do with the Indigenous side of things up in, up in Darwin, um, but – the, there's some real talent out there in, in country communities, indigenous communities, and like you said, the the rugby league and the and the rugby union seem to really have uh, their eye on the ball when it comes to that. Um, and, and the AFL, they they really identify talent in those places. So I just think, um, yeah, yeah, football wise, uh, it needs to happen more. So I don't know how that happens. But certainly having someone like Warren Moon, who, who is such a passionate Queenslander um, and, and knows that there is talent out there, uh, I think hopefully he can he can change that, at least in our state. And I think that's part of the battle, isn't it? The people in charge actually have to believe that the talent is there outside of Brisbane, outside of the, the bigger centres, that there is actually real quality because that's what the other codes are doing. They're outreaching into the community not because they're trying to raise revenue. They're, they're outreaching to the community because they want the best players playing their sport. Yeah, that's definitely definitely it, mate. That's that's it. It, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be about uh, revenue or, or finance or what it costs. It should just be about uh, everyone in the state getting an opportunity to, to showcase their ability and, and someone um, identifying that and, and then giving them the opportunity to come into an environment like 
the raw academies which they run now, which is which is fantastic. From um, I think it's 13s through, or maybe even 12s through to 16s, and then you know your youth football. So yeah, look, I, I just think it's important that um, you know Brisbane Raw have got their finger on the pulse when it comes to um, football out in the country communities in Queensland. And and that's certainly what they're doing. And it's not just the so they've got the 13s to 16s academy but they're actually doing work as young as under sevens through to under 12s to get players understanding the philosophy of Brisbane Raw so if they do make it into the academy, they're already speaking that language, which is often hard for young kids to understand the different philosophies of football. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's such a great great thing they're doing because, like you said, it is difficult if um, you know a, a kid's come from a, a country club that's played and learnt a certain way and then he comes into – a Brisbane Raw set up at, at like an academy player in the 13s or 14s and it's a totally different structure. It's a totally different language they speak when they're talking about um, the structures they play and, and, and what have you. So I think that's really good um, and I, th- I think that will only benefit Queensland football in general and, of course, Brisbane Raw in the long run. Thank you so much for joining us for the Future Champions podcast, The Gospel According to Scott Higgins. That was part one, but there's still another part to go. So join us for part two next time here on the Future Champions podcast.